Hello, my friend, and welcome to this episode of A Call to Leadership. I'm Dr. Nate Sal, your host, and I am so glad you are here. Well, on this episode of the show, we're going to talk about something that is crucial for your business, for your family, for your community, and it can be debilitating to relationships if we don't get a handle on it. It's grudges. Have you ever thought about your own life if someone in your life or you've held a long-standing grudge? Well, it can hurt the ability to move forward in any relationship, completely destroy them. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, my dad had a deal done with his brother-in-law, my aunt's husband, to buy a refrigerator. And that refrigerator was going to be 300 bucks. And I suppose they squabbled over the amount. Perhaps one thought it was going to be a different amount. Maybe there was some miscommunication. Anyway, the horror of it was the refrigerator incident caused them to not speak again. They were terribly upset with one another. My dad didn't set foot in my aunt's house again for over 20 years. Sadly, the next time he stepped foot in that home was to give his condolences to his brother-in-law. Friend grudges can be so hurtful because they affect more than just that incident. And sometimes it can be as trivial as a refrigerator. And sometimes it can be very serious. It could be someone who wronged you in a number of different ways that will be life-changing. I know that in my own life, I have grown up in a grudge-holding mindset. Are you that person? Have you grown up with the mindset of holding grudges and not walking in forgiveness? We're going to talk about that. I've learned over the years that me not living in forgiveness, me holding those grudges is just like pouring poison down your throat and expecting your enemy to die. In other words, it hurts us. And there's healthy ways to deal with this as a leader, as an effective leader. And we're going to talk through them because forgiveness is an antidote, of course, to holding that grudge. It loosens the bond of that grudge. It's a transformative force. I mean, it holds so much power in leadership because it allows us to navigate effectively, healthily through conflict, right? Because when we just put the grudge up, what we're saying is, I don't want to deal with this conflict. I'm done with it. In other words, I really don't know how to deal with it. It helps us also to foster resilience, foster thriving lives, foster thriving communities, economies, harmonious families, interconnection. So we're going to explore the significance of forgiveness in these domains. And I'll provide some examples for our business family and in community contexts. And we'll also look at some studies that highlight the benefits of forgiveness. And there's lots of examples of situations that we've seen forgiveness become a part of the model for massive progress. I'll give you an example in business. Steve Jobs, who I've talked about before on the show. Well, you may know about this if you've listened to the show. He was ousted from the company he founded, Apple. I'm sure you've heard of Apple. Well, he co-founded Apple with his friend Steve Wozniak and Mike Markula. And so it was Steve. The Steves came to Mark, Mike Markula, and said, we've got this idea. We've got these little computers we're doing. Mike came back and said, I've got some cash. I'm a marketing guy. He was made his money from Intel stock. And they were off to the races. So this was 1976. And then 1980, they were doing so well with their Apple computers and they were making money. Well, Steve was young. He started at 21. So he was still had a lot of growing up to do, a lot of bravado, a lot of negative emotion to work out. And he was a little bit of a cancer in the organization. He was a little toxic and he had some great ideas, but he was also very bullying and he had some problems that just didn't fit in a corporate environment, in a publicly traded company. 
And so he got demoted. He really didn't get ousted, actually. That's a misnomer. But he got demoted because he went head to head with the CEO who he brought into the company and the board sided with the CEO. And so he got demoted. Once he got demoted, he ended up quitting. He left. He ended up selling all but one share of stock. He was so angry, so angry. In fact, in interviews, he'd say, what can I say? I hired the wrong guy. In other words, he was deflecting on the leadership that he hired, not on his own in efficiencies. He had this massive grudge against Apple. Well, that was in 1985-86. Fast forward to 1997. He has Pixar. Pixar is doing well. He's got a little company called Next Computers, which was not doing so well, but it had a great software system. And Apple was in trouble. By this time, Apple was on the ropes, friend. Apple was 90 days from insolvency. And during this time, Steve having conversations with Apple, first about buying the software and then eventually becoming what we called interim or ICEO and eventually became the CEO of Apple. And he began to have conversations with people, key people, whether they be board members or employees. In fact, Mike Markello was still on the board at the time when they brought Steve back in. And Steve had a conversation with him very candidly, went to Mike's house and said, I have to let you go, take you off the board. I've only left a couple people because he needed a new set of brains, a new set of vision, not the same vision that led them to this issue, but some fresh minds. At the same time, he asked him for his advice. He said, Mike, I need some help to figure out how to steer the ship, where to go with it. And Mike gave him some sage advice. You've got to be like Hewlett Packard. You've got to be a butterfly. You've got to reinvent yourself. And he went on to do that and took Apple to eventually become the most valuable company on the planet. He could have held a grudge against Mike Markula. He could have never spoken to him again. He could have just said, you are out of this company. I'm going to teach you a lesson. Go away. Shoo. I don't need you. I don't want you. But no, he didn't do that. How many people can you say would go back to one of the people who sided against you Not only one of the people, but your partner, your co-founder, just a decade, just over a decade before, and still come and say, hey, let me have a conversation with you and let's be positive and promote the creativity and innovation that I know Apple can have together. But at the same time, he set a boundary. He said, it doesn't work here. He set his past grievances aside and forgave them and moved forward. He had a moving forward mentality. That's a huge example of looking forward, friend, and not just looking back, not just holding on. You hold on to that grudge and you hold on to that lack of forgiveness because you think perhaps, you know, I'm winning. I'm the one who's in control. But in fact, it's you having a wall up from being able to progress and move forward. You have to examine that. I have to examine that in my own life. Am I holding on to something because I am not in a place where I can grow and move forward? Think of another example that is resonant in community in terms of forgiveness. And I think of the story of Nelson Mandela. If you don't know who Nelson Mandela was, he was a late South African leader. He exemplified the power of forgiveness in his personal life and his leadership. He experienced immense suffering during his imprisonment. He forgave his captors. He promoted reconciliation during his presidency. I mean, research supports this. It's beautiful and it's amazing and it's inspiring. There's research from 2010 that demonstrated that forgiveness contributes to improved relationships, contributes to psychological well-being, and overall happiness. There's remarkable examples of this 
in life that we can hold on to. In fact, thinking about that South African uh, story with Nelson Mandela with apartheid, there's a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission does is its aim is it heals wounds. That's its aim that are caused by apartheid. So what it does is it grants amnesty to individuals who confess their crimes fully. And what the TRC does is it showcases the potential of forgiveness. It builds more of a unified society. And the research supports this. Research by Minar in 2015 reveals that forgiveness-related interventions promote social cohesion, tolerance, positive intergroup relations in communities. Man, can we use some healing in our communities? Could we use some healing in our nation? For those of us in the United States and, of course, abroad, many other nations, my goodness, I think of my ancestral home in Palestine, Israel. It can use some forgiveness. It can use some tolerance. It can use some positive intergroup relations. Right now, it is a total disaster. It is horrific what's happening overseas right now through war, through fighting, rather than finding ways to set our grievances aside and work together. There's so much to be said about that, and I'll be talking about that more in another episode. There's restorative justice programs, and in religious circles, you see the story of Jesus, of course, expressing forgiveness and the desire for us to find healing in it. Talk about radical forgiveness. Jesus is dying. He's hanging on a cross. And what does he say of his captors? What does he say of his accusers? What does he say of those who have him in such great misery and pain? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Talk about radical forgiveness. And he says, forgive and you will be forgiven. The attitude of forgiveness is an attitude of setting the example setting the example as someone who is willing to show, we call extend an olive branch of peace, and to then perhaps even receive it. Such as uh, New Zealand has various indigenous communities, and they emphasize forgiveness and healing rather than punishment. These programs do is they take offenders and victims affected by different types of issues, and they bring them together to address the harm and to seek resolution. And so these restorative justice practices, they can decrease recidivism rates and promote community well-being. I mean, here's the deal, my friend. There is great power in forgiveness. It can't be understated. When in business, family, when it's a community settings, leaders who embody, who practice forgiveness, they create environments that are conductive for growth, for unity, for overall well-being, and the research supports this. And in business, it enhances team cohesion, employee engagement, and families, it enhances harmony, community resilience. And if we embrace forgiveness, we can inspire positive change. We can foster healing. We can nurture a compassionate and thriving society. And for those of us who are in the space of needing to be forgiven, sometimes it's just as simple as a sincere dedicated apology. You know, I've found in my own life that I've made a lot of mistakes, whether it's with my spouse or my son or in the family environment or with other members of my family. The most impactful way that I can move forward is just to acknowledge it. I remember one time and take ownership. My son, we were in my closet and he had done something. He was probably about, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And I snapped at him and I said, that wasn't very smart, was it? And it was condescending, it was belittling, and I saw his countenance just drop 
He just was deflated. Have you ever said something and as you're saying it, you're realizing, oh my goodness, I'm saying something that is not good. As soon as those words were coming out of my mouth, as soon as I saw his body language just drop to sadness, I got down on a knee and I said, son, what I just said wasn't very smart. I'm so sorry. I love you. I didn't mean it. And will you forgive me? And guess what happened next? I got this huge bear hug. Daddy, I love you. I forgive you. Sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness with sincerity. We need to acknowledge, process emotions. We need to recognize and acknowledge the emotions that others feel toward us and we feel toward them, whether we're on the receiving end of forgiveness or whether we are on the requesting end of forgiveness. We need to allow ourselves to process these emotions fully, whether it's anger, whether it's hurt, whether it's resentment. It's a crucial step to begin the healing process. And then practicing empathy, perspective taking. You know, Try to understand the perspective of the person who has caused harm or the situation that has created conflict. And on the other side, if you are the one who needs forgiveness, practice empathy and perspective taking for that individual. Put yourself in their shoes. Consider what's going on. If you are on the receiving end and you are to be giving forgiveness, and you are currently holding a grudge, consider motivations, consider their experiences, consider their circumstances. You say, Nate, this was so heinous because sometimes it's trivial. Yeah, sometimes it's heinous. And I'm not saying to rush into that. It's difficult. I mean, there's situations, murder, I mean, all kinds of nasty things, right? That we can go down the list. And my uncle died in 1967 in the war. And he was a soldier on the Palestinian side and the Six-Day War. And my parents named me. It was my dad's little brother. And they were very close. He was the youngest of all the kids. And so he died. And I was named after him as a memory for that. And for a long time, I held a grudge. I said, well, those Israeli soldiers, they killed my uncle. Eventually, I had to release that. And I couldn't get moved forward in the desire to find peace, to find healing, to find reconciliation unless I let that go. I had to make a conscious decision to forgive. And it wasn't even a harm directly on me. It was a familial harm. Have you ever held a grudge that wasn't even your direct issue, right? Maybe there's an overlying issue. Maybe it's a societal. Maybe you're holding a grudge from a societal issue that may have happened 100 years ago or 50 years ago or 25 years ago. Perhaps it's something that has been passed down. Making a conscious decision, it's a deliberate choice. It often requires considerable effort. It's not always easy. Once you've processed your emotions, gain perspective, decide to release the negative feelings, release the resentment toward the person. I'm in bondage when I live in that. doesn't mean that I forget. doesn't mean that I don't set boundaries. But understand that forgiveness doesn't mean even condoning or forgetting what happened, but rather choosing to let go of the emotional burden of your own well-being. doesn't mean forgetting. doesn't mean disregarding the past actions that caused the pain. And it's essential to recognize that setting healthy boundaries is compatible with forgiveness. In fact, here's an explanation of how forgiveness and setting boundaries can coexist. Number one, acknowledge the harm. Forgiveness requires acknowledging the wrongdoing and the impact it had on you. It's crucial to acknowledge the pain, the hurt, the betrayal by someone's actions. Then you can set healthy boundaries, which involve you have to recognize the need to protect yourself from potential harm or recurrent similar actions. It doesn't mean I go right back into that fire because that's what boundary setting is. You have to establish personal boundaries. You have to set healthy boundaries after forgiving. It allows you to safeguard. You have to safeguard your well-being. You have to establish clear expectations for future interactions. Boundaries might include defining what behavior you find acceptable, 
communicating your needs, your limits, and being assertive. You have to be assertive about enforcing the boundaries and then learn from our experiences. You know, forgiveness can be a catalyst for personal growth. It can be a catalyst for learning. By setting our boundaries, we create opportunity to reflect on the situation. And then we can identify different kinds of lessons that can help us avoid similar situations in the future. In other ways, it's a trust building process. For those of us who are, where trust has been damaged, forgiveness alone, it might not immediately restore trust. Setting boundaries enables a gradual rebuilding of trust through the consistency of actions over time. It's a time thing. Communication is important, open, honest about what expectations you have. Give yourself space to observe if a person shows genuine growth and real change. Those are ways that we can begin to walk through this process. Remember, forgiveness and setting boundaries are not contradictory. They're complementary. They're processes that prioritize our emotional well-being and promote healthy relationships, releasing the grudge and living in a state of health and progress as we move forward each and every day. Well, my friend, we did it. I'm so honored you were able to join me on this episode of A Call to Leadership. Now, this might not be for everyone because you really have to be in a certain place in order to take the kind of steps to level up your leadership. And I want you to be taking steps. And for those of you who feel like you're ready for something like this, there's a place you can go. You can go to our website, greatsummit.com. I'll make sure that's in the show notes, but here's the cool thing that we have. We've got a masterclass. We have all different kinds of events. We even have our leadership club where you can meet other people just like you to go deeper in your leadership journey. You and I will get to spend some time together and really focus on aiming for greatness. I can't wait to see you there. I'm Dr. Nate Sala, and this is A Call to Leadership.